Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. I want I, I want to know how you are. Well, I'm doing well. I've been busy, obviously, this weekend. I'm uh, doing a quick update on the kitchen cabinets and drawers and everything while the wife and kid are out of town. It turned out to be a little bit bigger project than I expected. And because we, the house that we own was bought in the fifties or was, was built in the fifties and has been owned by several people. It's been a rental. It, there's been a lot of changes made to it. A lot of DIYers have owned that house, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of DIYers. And, and you're continuing the proud tradition. I, I am continuing the proud tradition, but the difference between me and most DIYers is I will go to the extra effort to not just say, well, this isn't going to be my problem. <laughs> so about every project I've taken on has, has at some point over the course of the project unearthed a, what the hell were they doing? Mm-hmm. And why would you do it like this? It doesn't even make sense. It's not easier. It's not cheaper. It's just, this is what they decided to do. Only found one of them this time. And it is in some of the drawers on one side of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because it's all they're all uh, wood framed, woods wood sliders, except on three drawers. And I always kind of wondered why they only updated three of the drawers. Well, it turns out because it, it must they must have got like a three pack of of glides like casters, mm-hmm. and they didn't fit. So they took probably a sawzall or maybe a chisel because it's their rough their rough edges and just cut out notches just large enough to force them in there and rather than screwing them in place in the in the front and back because they're so wedged in there they don't move so they're just tension held in place but because they cut them so like only big enough to fit you can't get the drawers out Uh so that was a project that will eventually get taken on but i like collected myself for a moment i said andrew don't let this project spiral because that's something that I'll do. And some of them are, are necessary spirals. You, you get yeah. into something and you're like, this is how you plumb this room. This is how you ran the wiring. Really? That's what you decided to do. <laughs> and so your project has to has to take a, a tangential shift. But this one I, I could ignore. They run just fine. So I'm almost done. I've got six cabinets left to hang and then two that I have to trim. Uh, they didn't really fit to begin with. They, they doors always, you have to hang, or you have you're rehanging the cabinets. The cabinet doors, like oh, the, the cupboard doors. doors. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So six to hang, and then two that I have to trim because they're they were too big anyway. They never closed right unless you kicked them. Uh huh. And I just assumed it was bad hardware. That was part of the issue. But the other part is that the doors are a half an inch larger than the space they're supposed to fit into. Ah. Uh-huh. So that doesn't work. No. Yeah. That no, doesn't it doesn't. Work. So. Almost done. I'll, I'll wrap it up tonight, maybe tomorrow, but it's almost done. Nice, nice fresh coat of paint. New hardware on there. Everything's looking good. You, you know, we converted uh, the old house we had out on 33rd. We converted all of our, or we, we had our cabinets redone, but but with the existing hardwood boxes and everything. And uh, the guy who came out and did it said, yeah, I could put slides on all your, your drawers, but they'll all be about an inch smaller inner diameter. And I, I, we just decided to skip it. You know, the, the drawers as they were. Wood were, slides are fine. They were built really well. That's right. And they worked really well and they felt nice. And so we skipped it. You, you know, Kim, when we first started, we thought, oh, it's going to be so cool. We're going to have modern slides. But we decided ultimately we didn't want to lose the, the real estate we had there. 
No, because oh. older houses like that, it's limited real estate. Yeah, that's in, right. in storage. That's right. And you lose that and it's gone forever. Yeah. So, and, and it was going to be a lot more to cut down the boxes and. Oh, pass. Uh, pass. That's right. So we, we kept another word and they were fine. Yeah. They were fine. Uh, I made chili today. And I'm excited to try it. Last night, in fact. And then we ate it. Today. When you got home last night? When I got home last night, we made chili. Yeah, I made chili. I say we. I did it. I did it. Did it just run all night? or it, No, I, I didn't run it all night. I, I ran it until about midnight, and then I turned it off and uh, just sort of let it stew mm. and then you know with, without any applied heat and then turned it back on today to heat, bring it back to heat and uh, you know cooked it in a slow cooker. But uh, as you, the listener, will remember, Kim and I are doing keto, the ketogenic diet, and so this is keto chili, which I think for some people is actually just chili. Yeah, some because people just no bean chili is a thing, and in fact, I think purists would argue it's the thing, right? That beans don't belong in chili. I've heard that argument. I disagree. I I like beans and chili, but meat or meat only chili is also terrific. Well, and I tell you, it's probably the best sort of most traditional tasting chili I've ever made. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it's the least traditional chili I've ever made. Because for us, at least here in Oregon, chili has beans. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have chili without beans. And so it felt like, oh, I'm doing something really different. Well, gosh, I cooked this stuff up and we we ate it today. And it's just this really, you you can tell immediately that it's chili. It's not, what, what is this soup? It's chili. <laughs> And uh, I cooked it like I cook anything else. I got all my ingredients ready, did all my prep, and so, sort of added spices till it was the way I wanted, which can be dangerous with some of the ingredients you use for chili. But, yes. you know, chili's pretty easy. Chili is not a, uh, a fine instrument. It's more of a blunt instrument, uh, as is garlic powder. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and, and chili gets so much of its flavor from the vegetables, you know, so I put in a bay leaf and I put in some celery and the whole thing just, I've popped. I use bay leaves. Mm-hmm. I've done side by side of like a soup or a stew or something, made a smaller batch, exactly the same with no bay leaf and couldn't pick out the difference. I still buy them and I still put them in when they're called for, but I honestly, I know what bay leaves smell like. I've never been able to detect that taste in food. You, you know, that's interesting because... I'm going to make a tea out of bay leaves here soon just to... To see if you just can to pull see that. If, yeah, because maybe I just can't taste it. You, you, you know, it, it may be one of those things that we do just because we do, but I suspect it gives you a little bit of roundness to whatever, to whatever it is you make. So I do it. I don't think too much about it. I always, whenever I buy them, I always get pissed off because they're like, <laughs> like seven bucks for yeah. eight leaves. But that, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. And I use them, but I don't know what I'm using them for. Yeah. That's the only thing that I use with regularity in my kitchen. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing this for, but what, I'm going to use it. What about you guys? Can you guys tell us what the what the benefit to bay leaves are? We're both cooking people, so I feel like we, we should know, and, and maybe, we'll, maybe we'll figure out by way of this. Maybe, yeah. By way of this little anecdote. So, or maybe my tea. Anyway, it's a pound of chicken. A pound of ground beef and a pound of steak, cheap steak. You know, we don't buy nice steak for this. I just went and bought stew meat, like a, a chuck roast, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of fat. And probably about a cup of chopped bacon. Uh, nice. To add just some fat. And uh, we ate it with cheese and we ate it, and sour cream. Put a big glop of cheddar on it and mm. a big glop of sour cream. And oh, man. Do you guys use sour cream or Greek yogurt? You know, we use Greek yogurt normally, but as we've done... 
as we've started keto, we've started using, oh, using more, more fat, sour cream, so mm-hmm. we can get fat. Because you know, most people, a lot of people, us included, when they start, aren't getting enough fat. So it's really important to get your your macros up. Yeah, gotta get them I, gains with a Z. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, sour cream, you know, really, I think we're struggling to get enough fat, both of us, because we, everybody's so attuned to trying to eat less fat, less fat, mm-hmm. less fat. So all the way our brains work is, is less fat. So we've had to really be conscious about getting the fat up. You're drinking like a gallon of milk a day. And... You know, you can't drink milk. Uh, you can drink heavy whipping cream, uh, which I wouldn't drink at straight, but milk in and of itself isn't, isn't all that great for keto. So it's hmm. a lot of carbs in it. I'm not sure where they come from. So you put in heavy whipping cream in your coffee? No, I drink my coffee black anyway. You, you I do know. too, but I, I I like heavy whipping cream in coffee. I did try bulletproof coffee. Yeah. Uh, as part of this diet, you, you know, the thing is, I'm doing intermittent fasting too, so I'm not eating in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't allow it, it doesn't allow me to break my fast late if I do bulletproof coffee first thing in the morning. But I will tell you, I tried it and I was like blown away. It's so good, super duper good. It tasted like a really sort of good earthy latte mm-hmm. with you know. Great, yeah, it was delicious. I don't think it was worth the effort. Gosh, concur? No, I don't concur. Actually, I just put a big chunk of. We have one of those blender cups with our ninja, and so it's just (laughs) always talking shit about how I don't have a ninja. (laughs) Well, I don't know. It was cheap. You could get a ninja if you wanted. No, this is but this is now the second time you're like, well, in my ninja. Oh, I don't know. We got it at Costco. It was cheap and simple. Anyway, we have one of those blender cups, and so. I was actually really impressed by how easy it was, and I didn't find that I had to reheat it either. Hmm. Or coffee maker is, is, makes pretty hot coffee, and, and it definitely brought the temperature down, but not so much that I felt like I needed to reheat it. So I was I was impressed. Really delicious. When I was doing it with regularity, I found myself tempted to just leave butter out on the counter. We always have two sticks of butter out now because we use it so much in cooking. Mm. We yeah. have a big Costco pack in the freezer outside. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. I never go to Costco enough. Hey, uh, what, what are you wearing there? Ooh, you know what I'm wearing? The Boulder Venture. Man, what do you think of this watch? I initially, so we we got lent a pair of watches from somebody who just wanted to check them out. Um, yeah, shout out to Watch of Seek user, the Thai, also Quartz Watch Guy on Instagram. He's one of our sort of early friends of the show, reached out to us real early on and was, was talking back and forth with us about what we were doing, and he's been uh there since day one i mean now it's only day 85 or whatever so uh you know i guess we're into three months yeah Yeah, we're we're gonna be we're above 90 um but he's just sort of been there all along and he's he offered to send us a couple watches and this was one of them yeah so we've got a pair here i uh we had the the mdv for a few days and i've been i've had the boulder on for a few days and i gotta say when i when i first saw the boulder i didn't know what to think because the titanium makes this one of the lightest watches I've ever had in my hand. Mm-hmm. Me and too. I, and I like to feel that my watch is on my wrist. Um, but after having worn it, I'm I dig it. Uh, I I wish though that the uh, that either the lugs were shorter, or the holes for the spring bars were further in the lugs because the way that it's designed, this can only be worn on a pass through. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, I wear pass-throughs on most of my watches, but I like the I like the ability to have the versatility. Mm-hmm. But I dig this watch, and, and we talked about this would be better if it had a date window. But as it stands, this is a great watch. It's super comfortable. It's got a quartz movement. The titanium is a is a unique color. That is a color that I don't have already. Um, 
but it works with the the black dial the the white uh the white markers and just a, a little splash of color with the orange tip second hand i i really dig this watch well check it out i mean if you guys if you guys haven't seen it the boulder venture is uh i, I would say it's a classic field watch with a contemporary styling yeah uh, the titanium it's got these angular lugs um, almost look like teeth that's right yeah these really sort of sharp angular lugs and uh that that was my my initial reaction was the same as yours i think we were sitting here goofing around with it and we tried to put it on the uh barton silicone elite Mm -hmm. strap and it it, there's like uh i don't know what a four or five millimeter gap between it might as well be a mile it's that's right you can see straight through it and it's not a small gap that is is easily bridged by the eye um it's it brings your eye to the gap and that's bothersome for me you you could wear it uh but i i didn't the aesthetic isn't something that i would it would bother like me that, yeah. but i i like pastures so we've got it on the this is the haviston canvas that's the haviston canvas yeah. yeah that's the one alex sent over to us uh just a really incredible strap i love that thing i it, love all the finishing and it's a good combo yeah, it works really well. It's the, that olive drab. We posted a picture of it, mm-hmm. I think, on that strap earlier this week on our Instagram. Maybe two of them, um, and really cool. So, so the you know that, and and then I'm wearing, since you know, also Ty sent us over, uh, or of course Watch Guy sent us over an MDV 106, and whoa, I this thing blew me away. Me too. I was not expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. But I, I had like kind of this idea in my head, in my head of a of a Casio quartz diver. It was gonna feel cheap. It was gonna. It, it was just gonna miss something. It was gonna miss, and and the only place that I can say that it misses, that's big. It's big. It's it big, is. and it's a little bit heavy. And we have it on the Stratcode Super Engineer, Super Engineer, yeah, Super Engineer, yeah, which adds. Add some more weight, but it looks good on it. it. That it, that strap was, or that bracelet was designed for that watch. It, it does add some heft. I, I think on the bracelet, it's maybe not quite as heavy as my, um, may she rest in peace, but my Seiko BFK. Um, she's not dead. She's not dead. She's <laughs> she's being well taken yeah. care of. Did you get a dowry? <laughs> I did not. I should have. I guess I did, actually. Yeah. He did buy it from me. So Perfect. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, let's, just listen. I don't know if that comes through well or it, not. It does. The, the only thing I noticed that bezel that I wasn't a huge fan of is there's some some clockwise play. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, there is some play. And so, you know, I, the reality is this is a $45, $50 watch. Yeah, that, that's, that was kind of what wrote it off for me. And, and I think if, if you look at these two watches that we've got here, we've got, what, that's a 44? 40, well, I don't, I don't know how big it is. Calipers are coming out. Guess what, guys? Never bought a pair of calipers. Calibers? Well, while he's getting calipered, uh, this Boulder Venture comes in at 38. I think 38.2 was what I was what I read when I looked at it. The titanium is 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 a super cool feature to add to the watch. But between these two watches, like, I I couldn't wear that diver every day. No. Nor could I wear this Boulder every day. But I think I think if you were to be getting into watches and be looking for a little bit of versatility and not be looking for anything that you could reasonably dress up but two watches that you could you could bang around and not not be worried about harming this is a good combo 
So the Boulder comes in right at about 38 across, 37.9. The MDV 106 comes in at, you know, both of these with, without the crown, uh, right about 44.9. So it's just about 45. So um, a, a big watch on the Casio and, and a little bit less, you know, more sort of field watch size on the Boulder. But I'll tell you, the Casio thickness... 12.3 whoo and it's quartz right so it's got the ability to cram a lot in there but it's thin it's wearable all the all the angles on this casio blew my mind it's just got a really high level of finishing and the details on it this nothing about this watch says 50 dollar watch no the, that's right the billfish at the six o'clock the application of the bill of the of the marlin is not great. It's a painted. It's also not a marlin. Kind of transparent. No. It's like a mix between a marlin and a sailfish. Okay. That's why I'm calling it a billfish because it is neither. At least I don't think. In 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 my, because I even looked. I looked. I looked at pictures of them, <laughs> and I was like, this isn't right. This isn't right for either. So we're gonna go with billfish. Okay. I'm gonna go with billfish. You call it what you like, what you want. But the the billfish at the six o'clock, and then on the case back. It, oh yeah. Nothing about this says fifty dollar watch to me. I was supremely impressed with it, and really, really grateful for having had the opportunity to to spend some time with it. Yeah, these are cool. These are both really cool. So thanks, thanks, Quartz Watch Guy for thanks, Ty for sending these over to us. I think we've been just uh, tickle pink to have an opportunity to wear these, and got to get them back in the mail now because we're gonna leave for Mexico. I mean, there's a reason we're leaving for Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I'm so excited to go to Mexico. The next time you hear from us, we'll be in Mexico. And and we will say we're recording an episode after this one just so we have a backup in case we're not able to get our S together uh, when we're down there. Uh, but we're going to try to get some on location so you can hear the hear the Mexican waves crashing. Right. Hear us drinking beverages from coconuts. That's right. So or glasses. I, I don't know what they have there. But I don't care. We haven't decided 100%, but I think we're thinking that we will record in our in our suite we've got a suite with a big old balcony so depending on you know wind and whatever i think we're going to either record in the living room of our suite or on the balcony so tune in next week i wonder how they feel about us stapling things to the walls you you know i'm not going to worry about it (laughs) we're using your credit card for the deposit right makes sense yeah yeah okay uh yeah those calipers are fun yeah, they're cool. I've always wanted to get some of these. This is like 13 bucks or 17 bucks, I think, for these. A good addition. Yeah. We're watch we're watch people. We, we should have, have these. these tools, yeah. Right. These we'll use these for our YouTube videos. So hey, what are we talking about today, man? Oh, what we're are we talking, talking about? Today? We're talking about Bohemian immigrants. Yeah. We're taking a taking a little break from our uh, our series that we started, and we're going into a watch brand that I think everyone is familiar with. Uh, and we wanted to, to dive into a little bit deeper. Today we're going to talk Bulova. You, you know, I'm the ancestor of a Bohemian immigrant. Are you? I am. The ancestor? Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, I'm not a Bohemian immigrant. But, no, a descendant. It, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm a descendant, not an ancestor. <laughs> yeah. You know, words aren't my strong point. Time travel, huh? <laughs> like, look at you. <laughs> yeah, no, my great-grandfather, Bohemian immigrant. Interesting, didn't know that. Yeah. Bohe- and, and bohemian i think some people mean bo- think bohemian and they just think it means hippie but bohemia is actually a region in in czechia mm-hmm. 
uh, and and sometimes it just refers to all of Czechia. But yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I'm Czech folk. Matoka Meadows, obviously not a Czech name, but Matoka. That's our. That's my Czech lineage. You should change your name. It's a good name. Yeah, yeah. it's a good name. But I mean, Meadows is my name. You don't change your name unless you like hate your dad or something. And I don't. I love my dad. So that's his name too. It's just well, his, he's not a Matoka. Oh yeah, he's a Meadows. <clears throat> well then, never mind. <laughs> so we'll get into the Bolova watches. Uh, it was a brand that I was actually really interested by and then as because it's so it, it, it's founding and operation is so at least in my opinion so starkly different from what it is now mm. and i don't know if maybe i don't know what caused that i i don't i just can't see where the where they took the off-ramp because they were founded in 1875 uh they were the ones who innovated uh tuning fork resonating in 1953 mm-hmm. um which bunch of people copied well not copied but then as a result of their innovation of it they other brands uh, and that's that we the know. first electronic watch right it, it, the, their tuning fork they make the first electronic watch yes i think it was the first electronic watch i, yeah, the, I couldn't find anything preceding it but i don't know that that's 100%. the first fully electronic watch so maybe there's a distinction there but yeah that 1960 bull of accutron accutron the 360 hertz tuning fork with the electric oscillator is the first ever and it's it, you can't understate how cool this technology is no this is the reason the the tuning fork movement i i discovered by happenstance uh, one of my coworkers has a uh, accutron space view i looked at it and i was fascinated and it got me on this hunt and i i i started getting interested in bulova as a result um because I don't know anything about them. Because it's a vintage no, tuning is, fork. It's a modern precision yeah, it's, quartz. Yeah, it's one of their re-releases. Got it. So um, not actually the not actually the tuning fork movement then. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think those reissues were actual tuning forks. Well, we can get into this a little. Well, yeah. I might as well get into it now. I think that the difference between the actual true tuning fork electronic movements, uh, well. There's a world of difference, but yeah. I think the precisionist movements aren't tuning fork movements at all. What they are is a quartz movement with a second uh, a second quartz crystal or a third quartz crystal. Anyway, th- there's an additional quartz crystal which allows them to ga- get significantly more oscillations. I think eight times as many oscillations. So these are 262,000 per second oscillation Ooh. movements, which is about eight times what a standard quartz movement oscillates. So very, very accurate. And I think plus or minus 10 seconds a year. That's pretty damn good. And that's that's something that they've been doing. And, and never mind that. Never mind the technology they've been doing. Up until the, I don't know when it stopped. 1926, they were among the first uh, radio advertisers, paid radio advertisements. And in 1941, they were the first television commercial. I don't know the last time I saw a Boulevard advertisement, marketing campaign, or, or anything on on that scale well yeah yeah no i it, it sounds I, I mean i think your point is what, what the what fuck the hell happened, happened? yeah Bolova, and and i don't know the answer to that either because because you're right i mean it, they back in the 20s or 30s or whenever the heck Lindbergh flew across the atlantic uh should i know this i feel like i should know this it's so long ago now it's 100 years ago 90 it's, years yeah, ago. Yeah, you weren't even alive then. I wasn't alive. I wasn't even... He got $1,000 on a watch. weren't even alive. Yeah. 
yeah, he wins this $1,000 reward, and then they come out with this Charles Lindbergh Lone Eagle mm-hmm. wristwatch, which is this really kind of neat, uh, neat thing. I mean, they were sort of on the cusp of all these great American watch innovations. I mean, really, in some ways, they are maybe the preeminent american watch company during the early 20th century i mean maybe more so than hamilton and then they just or, or fell off the map yeah that's right uh i think that's right yeah they fell and off i the i map. wonder if i wonder if losing the the space race to, to provide watches to nasa played a role in that um because they they fought kicking and screaming to get it they they hearken back to like a 1930s um, like a 1930s piece of legislation that was like by American basically. And they tried to leverage that to be able to uh, beat Omega out and beat um, a bunch of other watch brands out to provide watches to NASA. But ultimately all the watches they provided to NASA didn't pass NASA's tests. Right. That's something worth noting. And, and, and we'll talk about this on another, on another occasion, I'm sure. But you know, I think that there's this sort of romantic fantasy that the Seiko Pogue and and maybe these Bulova, um, these Bulova Accutron watches were right there neck and neck with Omega, and it's just a stroke of luck that Omega got the nod. But the reality is that Omega no shit beat all of these other in, candidates. Yeah, in spite of a buy American piece of legislation, yeah. and and. Almost no. I think I think only two American companies even accepted the invitation to submit watches to NASA. Right. Bulova being one of them, and then they were like, "Oh no, no, you can't go with Omega. You can't go with Omega because we have this <laughs> piece of legislation that says you got to buy our stuff." Yeah. So NASA tested them, and they failed the tests. Yeah, that's, and, that's and I'm it. just I'm trying to imagine what Omega or what what Omega and Bulova would look like today. Well, if, if they were replaced, and, and, and you know, you, you, the point you're making is that there's maybe uh, there's maybe a sort of bridesmaid, always the bridesmaid mm-hmm. thing going on in Bulova's history, and, and that that's that's probably affected their their uh, legacy a little bit. And I don't disagree. You, you know, in in 1969, Buzz Aldrin did bring, I, I mean, several of the instruments on these uh, Moonlander and these early. Uh, space flights were were powered by Bulova, mm-hmm. and and Buzz Aldrin sort of famously put uh, an Accutron in the Sea of Tranquility to help with the the metrics and the transmissions of information back to NASA. So there's, I, well, I mean, and a were, lunar pilot made it onto the moon. That, that's right. That's right. Well, you, you know, so they're there and they're in the mix. They're just they're just always like I said, always a bridesmaid. It they're seems not like. on two hundred square feet of billboards in the. Uh, Space Center in Houston, yeah, which that, which Omega is. That's right. That's right. Uh, you, you know, World War Two. They have their bull of a hack watch going back a little mm-hmm. further, which is in many ways sort of at the time one of the preeminent hack watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have the legacy of some of these others, the Hammy or or you know some of these other more prominent brands but i think at the time they were right there they were in the mix if not if not sort of winning or or in many ways sort of leading the march so um and is this a branding issue are they not doing a good job leveraging the success that their brand has had you know it's a good question i don't know the answer obviously uh but yeah maybe there's some of that and, and certainly today their brand has been tarnished by the last 40 45 years of of Bulova mediocrity and and a 
buyout in 2007. Yeah, 2000, 2007, 2010, right? Yeah, so right in that, in that neighborhood. It was in the, in the relatively recent past, mm-hmm. bought by Citizen. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to, to Citizen's credit, I think that, that the company has um, maybe turned a corner. It seems like they're, they're mixing it up again, but they're going to suffer by way of that lowered or maybe diluted brand quality i think they they made a brand decision at some point to say you know what we're not going to keep up these cutting edge innovations we're going to chase the market of uninformed people who are walking into a department store to buy a watch and are willing to spend a little bit more than these other competitors yeah because you can walk into almost any department store and buy a boulevard yeah oh yeah i would think Um, so and and in prior to me being interested in watches, I always thought of Bulova as as a tier between luxury brands and economy brands. Yeah, I mean, realistically, they compete with sort of mid-grade Seikos mm-hmm. and, um, you, you know, maybe sort of lower-end Hamiltons and Tissot. I mean, they, they're sort of in the mix with these, with these middle-level brands, but there's something about them that seems a little... They do have some, they do have some cool watches right now that are not yucky to me. Well, no doubt. I mean, maybe this is as good a time as any to to move on and and, and start talking about some of the watches we picked, huh? If we missed anything big about the brand, let us know because this is a brand that is kind of confusing to me. Well, so the rest of my notes here, um, we've got you know, Bulova did after the Aldrin uh, space flight. They did re- release an Aldrin signature. Accutron astronaut. The what we know is the lunar lander. What is it? lunar pilot? Lunar pilot today is is a reissue of a never commercially released watch from from the space days, and the lunar pilot's a really accurate reinterpretation of that. Um, and that watch is incredible, and it it I've never heard people criticize it except to the extent that it's a little big. I want one. They're beautiful, and, and, and they I, are a little big. They're. 45 millimeters that's right yeah so they're a little big but other than that they're they're beautiful great watches i think they're well respected um boulevard sold the first quartz quartz watch in the u.s quartz Quartz watch they sold the first quartz watch in the u.s Uh, we record live people um you, you know which is something that's interesting right we know that seiko really was the the big push behind the quartz movement but boulevard was right there with them and having already um already was feeling the success of their electric electric watches uh they were doing development quartz watches in the 50s and the 60s so they they were right there and and, and, and because they were they weren't so affected by the quartz crisis but why weren't they able to launch out ahead of their competitors yeah yeah and, and i'm not sure the answer to that and i'll say just my form sort of final general bull of a note here is the precisionist movement it's a quartz movement um, but I don't think it gets enough love for how cool it is. Um, you, you know, it's a high accuracy, high accuracy quartz movement and it sweeps, you, you know, mm-hmm. so much of what folks look for in watches is sweeping second hand and they've done it in a high accurate, high accuracy quartz that, that what word's going to elude me a- accuracy. The, the first time I saw that, uh, that watch my coworker was wearing, I, I thought it was an, an automatic. And not only an automatic, it's a but a clean sweep. A really, a really good automatic, mm-hmm. you know. 
um, it, it sweeps almost like a, a spring drive or something, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I've never compared them side to side, but it's that really smooth, picturesque sweep. And it's, it's a sight to behold. It's probably a bitch for pictures. Probably so. <laughs> well, I think that, that kind of blurred secondhand is cool. Yeah, it is. You yeah. can time how long your shutter was open. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, I guess we should move on to the watches, huh? We should. Move on to the watches. So and, I picked three this week. What up? Well, I'm I'm gonna what? actually I'm gonna actually buy onto the lunar pilot with you because I think we both wanted to talk about this. One. We did, and I I really want it. Yeah. I really I know it's a little big, and my concern is that should I drop the five hundred and forty dollars on it brand new? Well, I I think you can probably pick it up for less than that, depending on where you buy it from. Certainly, it's it's five forty new on. On the, Beloba website. on the Beloba website, and the one that we're looking at is the is the one on the bracelet. The reference is nine six B two five eight. It's just a it's a cool piece of history in the fact that this watch, not that watch, the one I buy probably wouldn't have been in space, but it's a watch that was in the space race to get watches on on the moon, got to the moon eventually, and it's just a beautiful chronograph. And on Amazon, it's three fifty. 351 yeah so so quite a bit better i mean that's that's in the mix for you know inexpensive watches yeah that's right there in that in the affordable mm-hmm. couldn't buy it today but i could buy it in the next couple months watch when you know um it, it's got a really sort of uh graceful case you, you, you know where i think a lot of these chronographs are typified by harsh angles this has got these really sort of nice sloping curves on it um, the the integration of the pushers is really subtle. Uh, these sort of angular pushers. Uh, yeah, I really like the pushers on it. The, the 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 not characteristic crown pushers. They're nice flat. Like yeah, I I dig this watch. And there's a handful of others from Bolova that I really like, but this is this is the pinnacle of Bolova to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the. You know the the dial. I think is. I think it's tempting to want to call the dial, um, a, a little bit of an homage or or whatever to the Speedmaster. But you can't. It was right? innovated at the same time because they're they're right in the same. Mix. They're contemporaneous. So if you you know if you want to if you want to point to um, anything and and I don't know actually I'm not sure I've compared the original. The, the sort of watch that this is based on to to this one to one, but it, it's got the heritage that sort of allows it to stand up on its own. Although I do look at this and think, oh, it's a poor man's speedy. I'm a poor man. Me too. <laughs> so that works for both both of us, I think. And it's got that 262 kilohertz quartz movement, so it's going to sweep really wonderfully when you get the chronograph running. Um, I think that this is just a, a spectacular watch, and I think. I would be I would be just fine owning one of these. Yeah, it's big, a little bit. It's big. Yeah, I mean it's the same size as this MDV one hundred and six. It's a little bit big. Yeah, so I mean it's gonna. It wouldn't be a daily wear, obviously. Right. But I'm okay with that. None that's... of my watches are daily wears. Right. They all well, many of them could be, but none of them are. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, anything else to say about this guy? I, I don't know that we need to say a whole I, lot about it. I I think. Sapphire, um, it's got a blasted case, 50 meters of water resistance, which... Eh. You don't need water resistance in space. 
I, There's I no know. water there. I know, but still. Take a look at if you haven't already. I'm, I'm sure most folks are probably pretty familiar with this watch. Ten and a half millimeters thick, so or, or should I say thin? It's it's a nice. That's, that's a flat watch. It, it's a nice flat watch, so I think it's probably going to wear really well. And, and and you know I can't tell those lugs don't look to be out out of this world long either. So I I bet this thing wears really nice. I I do I have heard several people talk about it and say, gosh, I loved it and got rid of it because it was just too big to wear. Day. Interesting. I never wore it. So, hmm. All right, shall we? We shall. My first watch. This is a Bulova Precisionist, again with that 262 kilohertz movement. Um, this is what I would call a, a dress sport watch. Uh, reference on this is 96B257. 96B257. This is a Bulova Quartz black leather dress watch. Now, I, I don't like to call this thing a dress watch. I don't th- think I could call it a dress watch either. I think dress sport. Dress sport. It and- could dress. You could put that under a suit. But it's not solely a dress watch. And, you know, again, this thing is really big. Is it? It, it is. It's 43 millimeters by 10 and a half. So it, it's a big old watch. I think the Bambino's at 43, 42, 43. Well, I think it might be 41. Bambi- is it? This is going to be bigger than a Bambino. Interesting. And, and and I think that's okay. The style of watch is okay. You, you know, I, I like this. Uh, what I like about this, and, and you had originally mentioned to me, maybe not about this watch, but another watch, said you didn't like the sort of big sort of prominent steel bezel uh or maybe that was a different watch maybe we're talking about the seiko sus um but uh, oh what were we talking about i know he's and i it was that rattler that manchester watch yeah yeah, yeah yep but this has kind of a similar uh bezel going on it's got a nice sort of big better proportion though flat ish yeah uh, probably a little bit uh the dial on this thing is is really is really attractive you, you know especially if you like some detail on your dial it's got these nice um radial rings that that pop out um the the applied markers are really nice the handset is gorgeous oh and so cool y- yeah i don't know how how to describe that well i don't know either i would i mean they're sort of skeleton hands with a with an alum tip on them um and they're just really attractive. They're elegant. The they're, second they're, hand is cool too. And I think that's the one of Bolivar's yeah. uh, logo patterns over the years. But it's like sort of an infinity symbol at the at the end of the second hand. Um, you, you know, and and I think what I like about this is that it skews the tuning fork branding, which I think is a little bit of a bastardization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bolivar still really loves that tuning fork. Because it looks cool, brand. Because it looks cool, and it's their thing, right? This is our brand, and and it's as much a piece of the brand as it is the actual technology that it represented. But the reality is, Bulova hasn't used a tuning fork since the seventies. Uh, you, you know, their their movements are are more traditional now. So they, mm-hmm. you know, either automatic or or their high accuracy quartz movement, which is not traditional, but it's certainly not their tuning fork technology. So, yeah, you know, they're releasing some of these watches, these reissue watches. Uh, you, you know, and it's it's also not on the Lunar Pilot, but certainly some of their other watches, uh, their prominent watches that they're selling do have it. Uh, you, you know, their Accutron 2s, a lot of them use that branding. So it, I, I like the fact that a watch like this is a precisionist and they're not trying to, they're not trying to evoke that thing that's not really true anymore. This is a $200 watch, which I think is a great price. 
That's um, a killer price. You, you know what? You know what? I, I realized as we were looking at the the magnified image of it, what makes it feel like a a dress sport watch? Mm-hmm. The crown guards. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you know, that's a good point, and I hadn't realized that, but I think you nailed it. That 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 does give it sort of that sporty feel. Because mm-hmm. um, if if you if if you just shave those off, that that would feel like a dress watch. Well, I think the the prominent brush surfaces add to that as well too you know it's got a lot of angles a lot of sort of polished chamfers but the from the top down the brushed those flat brush surfaces are really prominent and i think that lends itself to uh, a sporty feel as well it's a good looking watch and that blue dials that's a good blue you know, I hate. I, I sort of. I'm. I'm lamenting this episode a little bit. I'm not super excited about this watch. It's one of the ones I've picked, and I like it. And I think if you're looking for a boulevard, or even if you're just looking for a really cool 200 meter quartz watch, um, you, you know, this has got I think 100 meters of water resistance. Uh, this is great. This, this is a this great could, watch. It, and you know what though, it's a little bit big to be a daily wear for a for somebody jumping into it. I think it's a little bit bigger than for somebody who's buying their first watch yeah. well, and I looking think for a brand with some heritage i would i would i would skew a little a little smaller I, I would too but i think that they're right in the mix with this you know i think bulova knows that who their market is and their market's not us and, fair point yeah and so this this is in the mix 43 millimeters is right there i think your average sort of off the shelf watch purchaser is going to put this on and not think that it's outrageously big at all that's fair yeah their last watch was probably the the Nixon right. fifty millimeter Kroner. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So this, I mean, if if that's the case, this is going to be a, an incredibly refined watch, and and you're going to be happy with it too. So yeah, I don't know how you couldn't be happy with a with a quartz movement that that sweeps like an automatic. This has got a crocodile leather band with a buckle enclosure, but I suspect that's croco grain. Ready for the one that I'm most excited about? I want to hear about this. And this one. is a watch I think I'm going to buy this year. The curve, the Bulova curve. We have the reference 98A155 up. 43 millimeter case, which I was just talking down about, but. <laughs> well, that's going to be a trend, right? <clears throat> Bulovas tend to wear a little bit bigger. But this isn't the, this isn't going to be my only watch. Um, and it, it has a lot of the same, the same uh, style cues as the, as the Lunar Pilot when you're looking at it. It's a very. Um, like that same very smooth, like almost compressor case mm-hmm. on the chronograph. Yeah, absolutely. Around pushers. Really, really great, gray to black sunburst. It does have the tuning fork logo at the 12 o'clock. What, what pulled this watch like out? Oh my shit. 222 bucks on Amazon right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might be buying this watch this week. Yeah. Um. Sorry to get off topic. I had the Bulova website open because what I'm trying to do is is provide the the website to it, and then you can shop wherever you want. Anyway, uh, blue uh, accents on the three subdials. Those subdial, yeah, it just makes it pop. It does. It does, and it's not and it's not an egregious use. And the blue in and of itself isn't offensive. It's 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 subtle, but it it, it it's like wearing a, a nicely a, a nicely paired uh, tie clip or pocket square. It's not, it's not in your face, but it's just something that, yeah. ooh, that guy's got it together. Yeah. 
this is a watch I'm super excited about. Now, way more excited about seeing it at $222 on Amazon. And what's what is exciting and what what got me first interested in the curve is it's a curved case. Mm-hmm. Uh that that's designed to to curve around your wrist. And I don't know the degree of curve. I I mean if you look at it, it's it's enough that it's noteworthy. Yeah, and I don't know that we're going to get a good picture um, of it. And here. and next, they're 9.7 millimeters thick. Or thin, as it were. Yeah, yeah. You, you know the. Uh, I, I think you'd call this a barrel or a tonneau case. Yeah, that's that's closer to it. Yeah. Um. And and it just everything is so you, you know so organic. Um. And and I think that those blue those blue markers on the subdials give it this really uh, modern. I think modern would be mm-hmm. the right the right word for it. Uh. Which which works really well with the uh, with that curved chronograph you know i think bulova was selling this as the first ever curved chronograph and and maybe that's true or not i don't know it doesn't matter to me um but you you know you can tell that what they're trying to do with this thing is get themselves into a niche what i'm hoping is that that this is this is the first step in in regenerating and renewing their history of innovation well you, you know i think that that with the release of their precisionist movement they're already sort of doing that i just don't know that they're marketing it well yet um, and and it could just be that Bulova's suffering from their you know the last forty years of being crappy, and maybe they're cool with being a department store brand. Yeah. There's money in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there there is. You, you know, it's interesting. I was reading uh, Chris Vale of NTH is is a prolific watch and seek poster, and he's uh, pull no punches, tell it like I see it kind of guy, which which obviously I really appreciate. Um, but he's the the conversation has uh, been about Omega or, or Eda's decision, Swatch Group's decision to limit access to their Eda movements. Oh yeah, I was just I was just reading about that. And and, and the you know as conversations do, they're sort of uh, ancillary and and adjacent to to the issue. But but folks are talking about how Seiko struggled in in the U.S. and. There's this idea that that maybe uh, the mall model isn't all that profitable. Um, that that you're getting a lot of watches in front of a lot of people, but but perhaps it's not that profitable. And and I probably suspect that some of that's true. Now I I think Bulova is going to sell most of their watches at Macy's or Nordstrom or Sears or or, or something like that, or in a jeweler, right, mm-hmm. where someone goes to the jeweler. And says, "I would like to look at your Omega watches," and the probably vomit. Jewel, the jeweler says, "Well, what's your budget?" And they say, "Ah, oh, nine hundred dollars." And then the jeweler laughs and pulls out a tray of Hamiltons or something like that. You, you know, I think that that's going to mm-hmm. be that's going to be probably the other person that winds up buying a Bulova. But right now, right now as it sits, I don't think that Bulova is a good option for that. I don't I think agree. I don't think that they're a good alternative if you're looking for a, a luxury watch. You, you know, I think that you're going to get talked into um, an Oris, or mm-hmm. you're going to get talked into a, a maybe a higher end Hamilton, or or maybe a Tissot. I, I think Bulova struggles in that mm-hmm. in that area. So this is a super cool watch at 220 bucks. You know, obviously they wanted to sell this thing for 
650 and they're still selling it on their website for 520 but the reality is is a 250 dollars watch i'd pay 250 dollars for it yeah to, i might text my wife today right <laughs> yeah uh, no i don't know if, it would probably get here before we left oh man i'd love to wear that in mexico i mean save it for beers in mexico that's fair yeah yeah that's okay yeah so i think we said all that needs to be said about this watch it's a cool watch if you haven't looked it's at beautiful, it beautiful yeah and it yeah it, it's it's beautiful and it's a it's a cool curved case something you probably don't already have i certainly don't have one nope you, you know there's a another uh, sort of alternative version of this that i really like it's it's also the curve but it's got the sort of skeleton integrated lugs i also really like this one i don't um, like the on rubber i don't like the case shape yeah it's different it's kind of um, octagonal it, it's different i, I and I, I can feel that but uh, I think these are a little bit smaller, if I remember right. Um, well, nope, bigger. So, okay, moving on. Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so my second watch, uh, I think this is actually probably the coolest watch in Bulova's line, uh, and and unlike uh, unlike that precision of sport dress, uh, this is a watch that I'm excited about, and I'd be excited to own this one, and and, and I would buy this. Uh, this is the Bulova, their special edition Devil Diver Oceanographer re-release. Um, Bulova, like like so much of their history, was in the mix mm-hmm. in the 60s in dive watches. They were in the mix and they were making really great watches. You know, Bulova and some of Bulova's sub-brands were, were right there. And they were making very cool very awesome watches, you know. I don't know if we talked about any Bulovas on our, um, on our uh, skin diver episode. But we didn't. They, they, they were deserved. A, they deserved a place in the conversation, though. Yeah, and so, but when you think back, when you think back, there's no Bulovas that stand out. Nope. You, you know, this this is not. Um, you, you know, I think when a lot of people learned about this watch for the first time when Bulova said, hey, we're re-releasing this thing. Probably so, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I've never seen it before, and you should re-release it. You, you know, the the sort of funny thing is, for 485 bucks for this re-release, you can get the vintage right in there for the same price. I was going to say, v- vintage Bulovas are probably a good way to go in the way of vintage watches. Yeah, that's they're, right. They're probably numerous and affordable. Th- that's right. They, they're super affordable. I mean, you can get some of these old, um, you, you know, these old Accutrons for under 100 bucks, and they're killer watches. You, you know, the technology's old, and they're going to be harder to work on. Um, but if you have a knowledgeable watch person, or even maybe someone knowledgeable in microelectronics, you can you can work on them. Um, but but this this oceanographer, it's huge. Again, fuck you, Bulova. Forty six. It's forty four. Oh. So, uh, but this watch would be excellent, excellent uh, at at forty one, forty two. I think. I mean, it's it's right in the mix of. You know, it's about the same size as a Doxa. It's about the same size as a Turtle. It's about the same size as a Notice Avalon. Uh, a lot of these watches that look really similar in terms of case size. It's mm-hmm. got that sort of uh, barrel case, much like the Avalon uh, that, that Andrew and I have been looking at. Uh, it's got the 666 feet, hence the Devil Diver name. And these beautiful sort of acrylic markers. I don't know actually what they are. Um, the the pictures of these were really cool. They're like loom globs. Yeah, let me see if I. They're not loom globs, so. 
Yeah, so looking at this on uh, this, I'm looking at a Gear Patrol review of this watch. These markers, they're like, uh, I, I would, I'm assuming they're acrylic, but maybe with loom underneath them to, I don't know, reflect the light a little bit more. Um, yeah, they're just really cool. And and uh, and the bracelet on this thing. It's a cool re-release. The, the bracelet on this thing's beautiful. I, I don't know what you'd call this, uh, maybe a, a rounded oyster or, or something like that. But it's got just a little bit of extra detail. You, you know, this this watch is is not cheap. Uh, Four eighty five, I think, is what this one comes in on Amazon right now. So so it's gonna be a, a little bit less than the Avalon, which you know this thing looks very similar to the Avalon in a lot of ways, and, and not at all like the Avalon in others. Uh, it, it's way more retro than the Avalon, um, but but it sort of fits that same cushion case diver vintage diver thing and um at, at 500 bucks right around 500 bucks I, I don't think that's a bad price uh but it, it's gonna it, it's gonna be a a cost consideration for sure 500 bucks so i don't know if i'm buying this watch yeah well i i think that the question is do you buy this or do you buy a turtle reissue you, you know or do you buy any of the skin divers we talked about a couple of weeks ago that are coming in similarly priced. Well, I think this fits a different place. I mean, this is more of a traditionally a traditionally um, sized dive watch. But if, it's, but I, but if you're going to go for a, a retro or a vintage inspired mm-hmm. watch, then why not go towards? Why not go in that direction? Yeah, and I think that the, again, Boulevard knows who me. their market is, yeah. and and so they're probably they're probably selling to them. But you know, the details on this are great. I do like that dial with that that red, really sort of tight line crosshair Mm -hmm. um the hands are great they're sort of big fat stick hands uh ducks alike i i feel um but without without being an homage it's got a lot of script on the dial and and so it's kind of a busy dial it is it is a busy dial uh but the color's really great I, i think it's an excellent watch where's the second hand the second hand is it's hidden it's a black second hand so i bet that thing hides on that black dial oh you know there it, it is it just black. has a, just a tiny little loom tip it's right above the hour hand yeah yeah it might not be black it might be steel i can't tell based on it doesn't stand out the legibility pictures. for the second hand is lost yeah that's right i mean you get the loom tip but but i think this thing is supposed to be really sort of uh really sort of uh goth ah yeah he's a, he's a little emo oh <laughs> no it's a cool watch and, and like i said this is the one this is the one out of all the ones we've looked at today this is the one i'd probably be most inclined to buy well wait till you see the next one okay i i wonder what it is there's no way i could know the uh accutron 2 space view reference 97a122 amazon at 230 uh and this is actually the watch that i saw that got me interested in Bulova. and it was this it was this model it wasn't the old one that watch yeah uh, I, the, the, the case shape on it is what made it stand out on my coworker's wrist. It's, it's heart shaped. Yeah. Or triangular. It, yeah. Like, a, I mean, the heart is the best triangular maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's not round on the top. It, there's, there's angles on the top edge of the case. Yeah. Um, and the cool thing about these watches is that the originals of them were made to show off the technology. So they were made dialless, but folks liked it so much that they're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to. We're going to find a way to do that. 
And, and you know, this is so this is Bulova's reissue of their famous face view watch, mm-hmm. which is the you, you know, you've seen them probably. If you're listening to us, you've probably seen this watch. If not, just Google Bulova Space View. But they have this exposed green yeah. plastic uh circuit board. I mean, it is what it looks like. It, it looks like you know, the circuit board in any mm-hmm. electronic that you've ever opened up. Uh it's got the little uh it's got the the copper coil and all that exposed i do wish i could find one in a steel case i've been searching the ebay for one in steel i don't they're only popping up in the rose gold yeah yeah at least at least what i've been able to find if you see an ebay listing shoot it to us i'm interested yeah or if you've got one that you just don't love uh let us know andrew's andrew's on the prowl he's been on the prowl now for a little bit yeah yeah not a whole i mean this is just another watch that it's it's another little little bit on the big size, forty two millimeters. It's twelve millimeters thick, and a cool watch, a, a cool a cool reissue of a of a groundbreaking technology. Yeah, and and it is it's groundbreaking technology. You know the it's sort of for me a little bit of a bait and switch though, right? Because a it's, little bit, yeah. It, it's not the Accutron. It's not a tuning fork, and they've got that tuning fork prominently etched onto the the movement itself, yeah. as if. Oh, this is a tuning fork movement, and it's not. Oh, and the tuning fork at twelve o'clock. That, that's right. You know, I'm, I'm less. I find the less the tuning fork at twelve less offensive because, like we were talking, it's, it's their logo. It's their logo, but the tuning fork etched onto the etched, movement yeah. feels a little bit like uh, a gotcha. A little bit, yeah. I can see that. Not not that people are buying this watch thinking it's a tuning fork. Well, maybe some are. You know, I'm not sure that everybody knows that the modern precisionist movement is is different than that classic. Accutron movement. I'd just love to have a tuning fork. I'd love to hear my watch hum. Hum. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and I've never heard it. I don't think I've ever handled an actual uh, Accutron movement. I haven't. Uh, although, was Thomas's watch? No, that's a mechanic. It was a mechanical, I think. Uh, a mechanical Bulova, that Accurist. Uh, we, I had a, uh, a REM Strapco client recently give a watch to me to make a strap for it was his grandpa's watch and it was beautiful a beautiful gold accurate but mm-hmm. it, it was a mechanical movement it wasn't a uh it wasn't a, an electronic movement no that's wrong it, yeah, it was. was it was a it was an electronic movement because we went and looked at the that's right and the yeah. movement was was amazing it was mm-hmm. this beautifully finished gold um yeah de- they decorated a circuit board yeah, it, it was incredible. Uh, I'm just now remembering this. You know, I didn't listen to it. Oh, the battery was Yeah, there. there was no battery. You had to order it. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. Okay, I remember now. It's all coming back to me. Yeah. I didn't notice it humming. Yeah, that's why. So, But I didn't think about that uh, that hum until we were researching for today's episode. So, you, you know, I think that the technology is accessible. And, and it would be a cool, I mean, for anybody who collects, not that I consider myself... Uh, a collector right but for anybody who's collecting watches or just wants to have another interesting piece i think that that's really neat technology so but this watch a little bit different a little bit different but it's again they're high accuracy quartz yeah accuracy that's not hard work quats is though <laughs> high accuracy quats uh yeah shall we move on I guess so. I mean, this this is this our last watch. This is our last watch, isn't we're, it? We're moving on to other things, yeah. and and we're in an hour, so we should we should move on. Well, I've got one other thing to talk about this week. Okay, I took the time this week to watch a documentary called Bill Murray Stories, or called The Bill Murray Stories: I've heard Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. 
And it's this documentarian who uh, goes and does um, a, a documentary on all of these weird urban legend slash mythical Bill Murray appearances in America, whether he shows up to a house party or he shows up with a band to somebody's party after uh, South by Southwest and plays with the band in this dude's apartment or goes into a house party and is, and somebody walks in the kitchen. He's just in there doing dishes and it's all these stories of it. And then finally culminates and, and it's, it's a really cool look at a dude who they, they captured it really perfectly in the documentary. They said, everyone loves Bill Murray and he has learned to handle it in such a way that he, the reason these, these experiences are so special for people is because he doesn't control the environment. They're just hanging out with Bill Murray. It's not, he's not the center of attention. He just happens to be there, a part of this memory that everyone's making. Super cool, worth a watch. Bill Murray is terrific. Yeah, that's right. And, and super enigmatic. Yeah, and if you have an hour and a half to, to burn, which we, we all have an hour and a half to burn, it's on Netflix. Absolutely watch it. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, you know, you know, Bill Murray uh, showed up in that zombie movie. I can't remember what it's called. The, uh, you know the one I'm talking about with Woody Harrelson. Zombieland? Wasn't that what it was called? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He shows up and it's like, gosh, he's just the best part of that whole stinking movie. Yeah. So, so many of his appearances, his, you know cameo type appearances in movies it's like oh that that is the whole movie for it me. almost makes you feel like he just happened to be near the set that day and they did <laughs> a like, quick Billy, rewrite you, you and, want a role in our movie yeah i'm sure that's not the case but it I, it, it could be I, it, I mean the way they tell these stories of him showing up places it very well could be yeah yeah well if uh, bill murray shows up in my movie set if, if bill murray shows up on this podcast we're doing something yeah, yeah i mean we're, we're his life goals yeah if we could get Bill Murray on the 40 or 20 podcast, that'd be incredible. Bill, if you're out there. <laughs> I bet he's a, I bet he's a watch enthusiast. I don't know how you wouldn't be with that amount of money. Yeah, that's right. I just don't know. That's right. But he wears watches that we'd never even consider buying. So, Well, so I've, I've got one other thing this week, too. Um, this is a, something that, that I think you and I have both been thinking of. And when I saw the video pop up, I didn't realize immediately what it was going to be about. But this is by a YouTube content maker that I follow named Jamie Windsor. He's a London-based graphic designer and, and, and photographer. So he's he's a graphic designer who, who also has sort of a photography YouTube website. Uh, he's he's funny. He, he's got well-produced videos. He's smart. He made a video this week called is Peter McKinnon wrong in all caps wrong and Peter McKinnon for those of you who don't know is a wildly successful YouTube personality he started a YouTube a number of years ago with zero followers and within nine months had a million mm-hmm. he's he's a Canadian fellow and just has a fantastic personality his his um, stage presence I'd call it is just approachable and relatable but commanding and likable mm-hmm. and not commanding i, I mean, think he commands it i think like and not in the sense of like imposing but in, like he he brings that attention to him like he he owns it and yeah, that's right he's what you want to be paying attention to that's right that that's right it's 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 him yeah and, and you know there's a lot a lot a lot of photography content makers and, and some of them are very good 
and and you know I love Thomas Heaton. Some of them are less good, uh, you, you know, and I won't I won't like shout them out. But right, there's some of these guys. I think Jared Polin is one of the guys that I watched when I was sort of learning about photography, and and I I shudder watching his videos now because it just the way he he approaches his content production isn't just doesn't jive with me. And I think that he's smart, and I think he makes videos that help a lot of people. Uh, but there's something about it. Peter McKinnon, I think, has just got this universally likable... Anyway, th this video is not really about Peter McKinnon. This <laughs> is Jamie Windsor talking about Peter McKinnon's philosophy, which is better done than done perfect. Mm -hmm. Or am I, am I misparaphrasing that? Th that's the idea. Better done, better done than perfect. Than perfect. So, and the idea is, you know, start, A, start, and B, finish. Finish and mm -hmm. get your work out there and move on to the next thing. And and his and Peter McKinnon's point in this is that you you know so much of what stops us as content content creators or or any sort of creator is the this desire to make your thing perfect and and that can be that can be debilitating mm -hmm. you, you know it can be debilitating before you start it can be debilitating as you're in the middle and certainly as you're trying to wrap up a project it can be debilitating oh yeah uh, and, and that's something that you and I have been. Uh, keenly aware of in these last nine months mm -hmm. as we've sort of from the ground up started this project and and started to actually record podcasts. I mean, it took us six months to get started mm -hmm. because we were... Sure, it took us long. It was probably close to a year in the works before we launched, as it were. And, and you know, some of that was, you know, we blamed... Uh, technical you know we we had an issue we we got a microphone and the microphone didn't work and we spent about two days trying to figure that out and that stopped us for several months and you, you know we just sort of wanted to have all these things right and and the reality was we just needed to sit down mm -hmm. and record something and and see how it was and, and when we recorded that first episode which is our first episode we recorded it we sat down we recorded it um we listened back through it and we thought this isn't good no we're not going to publish this, and um, and that was us knowing nothing about production or editing or anything. And you left my house. I remember you left my house, and I sat down with Audacity and YouTube and edited it. Mm -hmm. I just edited it. Uh, you know, I went through the steps. How, what can I do? You know, what kind of filters can I apply to this? What kind of after post effects can I apply to this? I got rid of. 85% of the echo that was bothering us. I got our peaks and valleys to a to a reasonable level. Stabilized. Um, Half of the deep breath sneezes, coughs, and farts out. That's right. That's right. And, and then all of a sudden, I, I think I texted you about 1030 that night. I was like, dude, I think this is good enough. I think it's good enough. And, and it was. And it's not great. And, w and I, when I go back and listen now, I can hear the differences. And I'm not embarrassed by it. because. <laughs> but so, so Peter McKinnon is, just get it done. Well, well. This video uh, by Jamie Windsor is maybe not attacking that, um, and he's not attacking it, but no. he is saying there, there's, you, you know, the the issue is different than that, right? Because there is value in in getting it right. I think the conversation is to two audiences. Yeah, perhaps the, the better done than perfect is to the audience starting something or working through a huge mess of things, and I think the do it perfectly is to the person who's refined their skills and can do it perfectly, mm -hmm. has the capacity to, has all of the skills, the experience to do it perfectly and 
his he's basically saying overcome your laziness and yeah. do it right. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, I think that's the point of the video is that uh, even if it's not perfect, uh, you get a lot out of little things to make your craft better. And we, you and I are always working. In fact, almost every episode before we start, we talk about things that we want to, you know, things that we've noticed when we're listening through. And we listen to this every week. We both listen to this joyfully, I think. I do. Last week, I laughed out loud while I was editing it. And then the following afternoon, because we launched early, because I don't know how to use 24-hour time. <laughs> uh the following morning when I drove to work, I, I laughed again in my car. Yeah. I, I, that's, I, I feel good about what we're producing because I like listening to it. That's and that right. was our goal. We set out. Yeah. We set out to be two dudes talking about watches. Well, not even. I don't know if we even... I, our goal was to sit down and hang out and invite you to come and hang out with us. That's right. And, and, and within that, I think we're both really sort of deliberate. We start, you know, I was saying before we start each episode, we talk about, you know... W- w- these are the things that I think I'd like to move away from. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things I'd like to, you, you know, polish or change or fix. And and that's not to say that we're, that's not to say that we're um, h- highly motivated to to change anything. But just you know, we we want to continue to make refinements and yeah. and fix little things. So I'm uh, going to stop talking and then backing away from the microphone right. and then backing back into the microphone mid sentence. Right. Right. You, you know, little things like that. So. Um, anyway, this video I th- thought was great. If you're a creator of anything, I think it's it makes sense to sort of think about this stuff and and be in that mind frame. What what am I doing? What am I doing? And and what are my goals? Is my goal to to learn? Is my goal to create a, a end user product? What what am I trying to do with this? And how can I continue to move in the direction? Is it more important for me to get this out and move on to the next thing, or am I going to benefit? from a, an extra an extra piece of effort because there's diminishing returns right oh we, yeah you and i could go and get ten thousand dollar recording equipment and build a sound studio and you know get uh all the best sort of shock resistance equipment and we're you know put a lot more effort into editing and we're not going to reap the benefits from that no you, you know you guys are going to get a marginally better product um but but it's not going to be worth what we've done and it wouldn't be worth it to you either so if, we're, if we have ten thousand dollars to blow on sound equipment we're buying matching day right <laughs> that's right that would be more valuable yeah. to you so there's diminishing returns but so just being mindful about those things i think is important not not letting good enough be good enough in in having the uh having the insight to identify when good enough isn't good enough yeah that's right that's right you got anything else man nah all right well Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another episode of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. Bumming on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.